Electronic Specifier. Hello and welcome back to Electronic Specifier Insights. Today we are joined by Neeraj, who is the VP and GM of Security IP at Rambus. So hi Neeraj, thanks for joining us. How are you today? Hi Paige, I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. So let's start please, if I may, with an introduction of yourself and your background. Sure. So I have about 25 years in semiconductors with background in the manufacturing semiconductor VLSI as well as on the design side. And uh, at Rambus, I lead the security IP group for uh, semiconductors. We're on a mission to secure semiconductors and its supply chain. The Rambus has a rich history of innovation, about 30 years into advanced semiconductor interconnect and security. And um, our main mission at Rambus is really to enable the next generation of data center connectivity by solving the bottleneck between memory and processing. We're looking to create industry-leading products that will help our uh, customers build products with them so the data center can have uh, increased bandwidth capacity and security. Excellent. Thank you very much for that introduction. Now, we're going to be talking about autonomous vehicles and security today. But before we begin... Could you give us a brief explanation of what an autonomous car is and explain the six levels of autonomy? Absolutely. It's it's really, really, really uh, interesting times, isn't it? We all love our cars. And uh, uh, when you look to autonomy and autonomous car, it's uh, basically, in uh, layman terms, it's a vehicle that's capable of sensing its environment and uh, operating without human involvement. Human passenger is really not required to take control of the vehicle at any time, and neither are we required to be present in the in the vehicle at the at, at the driver's seat. So, if you look at the at the definition, there are about uh, six levels of autonomy, going from zero, which is currently most of the cars fully manual, where a human has to operate the car, to a level five, which is fully autonomous. So. These levels are defined by the Society of Automotive Engineers, SAE, and adopted by the U.S. uh, Department of Transportation as well. So if you look through uh, briefly, level zero, most cars are built without automation around driving capability, so no driver assist are uh, falling into this. Level one is where you will see most of your early cars, like for example, if you're in the U.S., pretty much every Subaru comes standard with driver assistant features. And many of the other cars are doing it. It's actually known to really help reduce the stress level on the driver, as well as increase the safety for errors that can be avoided. So these are the features like steering or accelerating. We have all had cruise control, but it was not adaptive cruise control in the 90s. But nowadays, most cars come with level one, which is adaptive cruise control and basic um, driver assistance. Now, level two is really where ADAS, the Advanced Driver Assistance System, comes in, where your vehicle can control both the steering, like going left or right, as well as increasing or reducing the speed, accelerating, deaccelerating, whether it's for assisted parking or while you are driving on a highway. So by and large, a person is controlling the vehicle on all times, And most Tesla vehicles would be considered level two vehicles, uh, what they call basic uh, cruise and and autopilot. As you go forward, level three, level four, level five is where it gets uh, more difficult because many of the functions where a human is able to make a judgment call, which direction 
to weigh in on safety come in play. And it becomes extremely difficult for an algorithm to make those decisions. So let's take an example, skip over level three and four briefly. Three is very similar to two, but it just have a little bit more going from a steering and acceleration into environmental detection capability. So you can make, the car can make some informed decisions, right? So if the vehicle is moving slowly, how do you avoid crash? If you see a car decreasing the, the speed, maybe 200 meters ahead, then plan ahead for that. Level four goes one step further where a vehicle can intervene if something were to go wrong and if there is a system failure. In this case, cars actually do not require a human to be on the wheels. And the cars with these capabilities currently do exist, but they are under intensive testing. My prediction is they would probably go into trucks, cargo first before they get into human uh, safety and, and transporting humans. And level five is basically the, uh, the most premium and, and where all the features come in. This is where you could have like a, a, like a taxi service. Nobody's at the wheels and you can transport humans from point A to point B. No additional human intervention is required while driving, stopping from point A all the way to the end destination. That's kind of the six levels. Fantastic. Yeah, level five certainly sounds very futuristic. <laughs> So to support the realisation of level four and five, a massive architectural shift is underway. So could you walk me through what some of the technological requirements are for achieving these autonomous capabilities? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's amazing what's happening in, in level five, for example. Uh, the autonomy in the vehicle uh, is relying on sensor fusion to provide immense amount of data that's needed for spatial awareness. And what we mean by sensor fusion is, imagine a car can have many different kinds of sensors. When humans are driving, we have an extremely advanced processing function called our brains. So we can only rely on our eyes as sensors, right? But when you go to a car environment, the brain equivalent function doesn't exist with that amount of training that humans get. So you have to rely on multiple sensors, not just the cameras, but also uh, sensors for distance, sensors that are 4D LIDAR that are detecting many different kinds of things. So harnessing all of those multiple sensors is by itself is a great challenge, engineering challenge. It basically, when you are harnessing that data from multiple sensors, you have to build an awareness of the events that's happening around the vehicle. And then allow it to process what's happening in real time and take appropriate action. So you can imagine this cannot happen on a cloud somewhere. That major uh, um, data center equivalent processing need to happen on board on the car. And that's why you see many of the advanced car systems have, Tesla has developed their own chip, NVIDIA is offering a chip as a leader in the GPU industry. So, so all of that is happening, processing on the car in, in the level five with the sensor fusion and, and harnessing that data. Mm. Well, I mean, following on from that, one particular technological pitfall in autonomous driving is, is the question of cybersecurity. But before we go into that in more detail, could you explain you know, what you believe are some of the key technological concerns and challenges in achieving level four and five autonomous driving? Absolutely. See, it depends on the two key variables here, Paige, are where are you getting the data from? 
So how reliable is that source? So for example, you probably heard some news that while there was a white color 16 wheeler passing the road on, on a country road in the US, a Tesla just ran into it. So obviously it's sensors could see it. You probably, if you had LIDAR, you could see it, right? So each source of sensor has its own limitations. But once you take that input from sensors from like multiple sources, from the cameras, from distance sensors, from environmental sensors, from LIDARs, then how that data is collected and distributed and processed at a very high speed like human brain, um, computers that are tasked with doing that function in the vehicles need to make split second decisions. So not just sense it, but collect that data, distribute to where it needs to go, process it, and then come back and make the decision and apply the brakes or, or steer the vehicle, right? And that's where the technological challenges are. Even small delays in this processing, as, as you can see from the Tesla example, can have catastrophic consequences for the safety of the vehicle and the passengers and things around it. So these are pushing the boundaries of technology advancements in networking, computer architecture, to enable the vehicle to collect and process that data fast enough to react to the environment. I want to pause here and give you a parallel example. If you look at the data centers, right? Five, 10 years ago, Paige, uh, a most advanced GPU paired with a Xeon high-end Intel server was able to do what a Google or a Facebook needed to do in data center. But then you saw Google build their own tensor processing unit, right? So that processing is happening with a hardware that is specifically designed to do a particular workload that Google needs. For example, for the video encoding, they need to do for all these millions of videos that are uploaded on YouTube, they are doing a specific hardware called VCU, video encoding unit. For all the matrix multiplication they need to do in the AI, to look at and recognize pictures, they're doing a certain different hardware. And that's why you see these technological advancements need to happen with form fit semiconductor chip. If we have to solve level four and level five, no general purpose GPU or CPU can meet the demand that split second decisions have brought to us. Mm, some interesting points there. And, and off the back of that last question, as these modern vehicles get closer to the target of level five autonomous driving, automotive security has become a growing issue for car manufacturers. So what are some of the security challenges automotive OEMs are facing? Oh, there are many four challenges. And, and you can see, let's look at the basic concept page about security and the importance of privacy, right? It all depends on how rich and how vulnerable the target environment is. And that's what we call in security world, uh, security threat modeling. So for example, if you have a camera out there in an agriculture field, whose job and the sensor and the camera is to basically say, how is the moisture level in the ground? When is the rain coming? And based on that, it's going to activate or deactivate your sprinkler system for water. There's not much risk to that, right? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You can always go back a day later and correct it. But in case of a car or a data center where private 
data is stored. When the car is functioning in real time, even five minute takeover by an adversary may result in not just life and death situation for the people inside the car, but also where it can hit. So that makes the security threat extremely high for anything that is moving, right? So as our world becomes increasingly digital and connected, you can imagine we can't run a car with autonomy without it being fully networked and connected. So that becomes a rich source or target for attackers, people with malintent. So it becomes highly vulnerable. And these cyber threats and attacks, these are not just very rudimentary attacks that happened on Jeep, maybe at Black Hat, this was announced seven years ago, 10 years ago, uh, where they took over a, a Chrysler Jeep and, and tried to run really fast on the, on the highway and they took over the whole system. The introduction of these autonomy and autonomous features is upping that risk by million times, by thousands of times, because now the cars can be remotely controlled. Why? Because if the car has as much software as it does, without a remote firmware update of the car, like a phone, iPhone in your hands, you cannot imagine a car. Because every 15 days, my Tesla is updating the software. People's cars are updating every 15 to 30 days. And that creates security vulnerability. Because when, how do we make sure that we only allow authenticated server to update the car and not a person who's trying to attack the car. So all these security challenges our automotive OEMs are facing and safety and security is becoming a big issue. If you go back 20 years ago, it was important for the car to have redundancy and safety. Right now, security and safety are so embedded together that we would have to rethink from ground up how the architecture should look like, what used to be a safety and integrity architecture, now need to think security even before safety. Mm. I mean, those are some great points. And, and not only can autonomous vehicles be hacked and hijacked, but I understand they're also at risk of being remotely killed while in the middle of the motorway, which is a, a very scary thought. So, so what are the prime entry points of attack on a self-driving vehicle? And what are the consequences of them being hijacked in this way? That's a great question. Paige, if you look at cyber threats to our cars, we classify it in primarily four categories. The first one, cloud to car connection. That is one, one category. The electronic uh, control units, what we call ECUs in the vehicle networks, they could be taken over. External devices and networks, that's another one where the car is interacting with. And the fourth one is vehicle to vehicle and infrastructure communication. So as you see, as you get into autonomy, one of the great uh, benefits, you could actually update the infrastructure of your signals. So car doesn't have to just look at green and red. It can actually receive RF signals from the signal light, which is right now just doing green, red, yellow, right? So these are the four threats that can come, cloud to car, ECUs inside the vehicle, external devices that can hack into it, and the infrastructure communication, vehicle to vehicle. We call it V2X because initially it was called V2V, vehicle to vehicle. Now it could be to anything. It could be to um, a city infrastructure. It could to be uh, to a toll bridge. It could be anything. 
So these um, uh, technologies and hardware improvements for vehicles, the cloud to car connection, the ECU, external device and vehicle to vehicle, they have really resulted in an increased attack surface compared to 15 years ago. And it's been proven that people are able to exploit it successfully if security and safety is not thought through by design from the beginning in the car. So that's why uh, top car OEMs have made uh, headlines because their cars were remotely accessed. And you could see that Tesla actually, uh, Elon Musk regularly runs these hackathon events where he says a million dollar for anybody who can hack my car, right? Because in the end, it's all uh, a race to get to the most advanced security countermeasures. And in security industry, we can never say we are foolproof from hacking. We plan to stay ahead by putting the most advanced countermeasures in the vehicle by thinking about it at the architecture level, not as an afterthought, as a band-aid. And that's how we are kind of looking at this challenge and the consequences that are happening from uh, these potential high attack surface, increased attack surface. Well, following on from the last point you just made there, what, what can be done to make sure the next generation of vehicles are secure and safe for consumers? And in particular, what role does hardware play? Well, I, I, that's really the right way to think about it. And I have a very simple uh, a parallel. Like, for example, many, many uh, uh, centuries ago, we used to build our houses and then we realized they were not really uh, strong and sturdy and, and different environments needed different architecture codes. Like for example, if you are in an area where it's uh, flood proof, there is a different architecture code for building a house. An area where there could be earthquake, there is a different code. In a similar way, we have to go back to the architecture of the vehicle. We have to start from the point where we fully understand the safety requirements and identify exactly how it could be hacked. Go through hack modeling or, or security threat modeling into, into vehicle architecture. Explain it simply what type of chips can be built into the cars to avoid down to the hardware level because at software it becomes too late. If I have to create a software patch, it's easier to hack into it. So hardware developers on the car side need to focus on addressing these systematic failures and random failures uh, when it comes to uh, putting the architecture down for security and safety. You would see many of these safety mechanisms in the hardware are being defined by the industry. There is a cybersecurity standard for automotive. There is ASL uh, standard for the integrity of the car. All those things need to be taken into account while the car is being architected and modeled and simulated both in hardware and software, as well as at the system level. Those are the three levels on which they need to be implemented. And then as you look into this as a solution, a proper security implementation inherently will improve the safety and reliability of the vehicle and that would make it more attractive for the automotive OEMs to, to adapt as an architecture. And you see most of the top automakers, and if I were to name the automakers from Stuttgart, as well as from Detroit and Asia, as well as uh, Tesla from Texas now, they are all 
taking this very seriously and looking to redefine their architecture, continually improving the security of their vehicles. At the end of it, this has really led to a rise in embedded hardware security modules. Uh, we call them HSM that are utilized for automotive electronics. So think about it this way. If you have your iPhone, the first iPhone did not have what they call secure enclave, but iPhone 5S onwards, they started putting hardware security module equivalent, which they call secure enclave inside a phone. This is very similar to a smart card that's on your credit card. And similar hardware module needs to go into automotive electronics on the ADAS, which will offer a more complete holistic safety and security package for these silicon suppliers. So that's kind of the end game where we need to focus on. Now, the, the functional safety of automotive electronics is governed by the International Organization for Standardizations standard known as the ISO 26262 with a hierarchy of requirements specified by the automotive safety integrity levels, otherwise known as ASIL. So could you explain what the difference is between ASIL ready and ASIL certified? Absolutely. So in the industry, what you see for ASIL ready, um, a solution must be architected to meet the requirement of the appropriate ASIL grade, whether it's A, B, C, or D. But it does not require in the ready uh, um, part an actual hardware implementation of that architecture. So it's like saying, I'm going to do something. Right. On the other hand, when we talk about ASIL certified versus the ASIL ready, certificate requires that implementing that architecture you talked about in ready in the hardware with all the safety mechanisms needed to satisfy the technical requirements. Now, you probably know this page that we design all of our chips on the computers with the help of tools called CAD tools from companies like Cadence, Synopsys, and Mentor Graphics. So after I have implemented all these solutions that I defined in my architecture into the hardware, I have to validate it on the computer model. And so certification means I have implemented all the things in architecture, and then I have validated them with very complex differential equations as transient fault and total fault coverage analysis. And usually it needs to be any, anywhere from 90% to 99%, depending on which grade of ASIL I am certifying, A, B, C, or D. And going along the alphabet, you will have increased coverage from 90% to 99%. Mm, excellent. And I understand that, that Rambus works with several key automotive partners so what are you hearing from the market regarding autonomous vehicles and security concerns? Almost all auto manufacturers taking security extremely seriously to the point they're going back to their tier ones and saying, show me how you implemented the safety and reliability and security. It's one of the most important metric to these brands. Ensuring a high level of security across an entire car is a serious challenge. They recognize it. And that's why they want to push down that challenge to the hardware and the chips so you can start thinking early on and not have to have all that burden at system and software level. So in essence, what I'm saying is 
the reliability and security of automotive electronics at the highest standard needs to be implemented in the hardware with ASL certified uh, hardware, and that would ensure the high quality and safety throughout the very long operational life of these vehicles, because they're supposed to last minimum 20 years. We, we don't want to buy our cars every five years. Yeah, excellent point. Now, before we finish the discussion, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, just, just one small item here. I mean, uh, point is, it's ultimately impossible for any automotive vehicle to be safe without being secure. And as these security threats continue to rise over the coming years, the automotive OEMs need to be more nimble because on safety, you build it once for 20 years, it's going to last, right? That, that's something like whether it's about when your vehicle is hit, how the airbags come on, that can last for 20 years because the impact doesn't change over year over year. But the threats on the cybersecurity or the, or the security part are increasing every day. So automakers need to think about it as something which is a moving target. And I think they're doing it. So robust automotive security will only come when more and more of these things in the the vehicles are implemented in a way that is upgradable security, like, like your phone, like your Tesla cars, where you can update and upgrade the the security every 30 days, every 15 days, if needed, every day, or as and when a new threat becomes public. Mm, fantastic. Yeah, no, brilliant. Thank you. The uh, The future of autonomous cars certainly does sound promising. And it's, it's great to hear that, you know, automotive OEMs are taking security seriously. Well, thank you very much for your time and the great insights that you've provided. Well, thank you, Paige. I appreciate your time as well. Electronic Specifier.